is Ryan Guy, and you're listening to Convos with the Collective, the Denver Women's Sports Collective podcast from the DNVR studio in downtown Denver. All right, it is episode two, and our guest today is Nikki Roddenberg joining us all the way from Toronto. Nikki, first of all, thank you for joining us, chatting with us, and how are you doing today? I am doing amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited for this. Absolutely. We are super happy to have you here. So Nikki is a digital marketing professional, trainer, influencer, marketing consultant, communication specialist. She graduated from the University of Toronto and is the founder of Player Partnerships, which we will be discussing a lot today. So stay tuned for that. She works with pro hockey players by helping them monetize their social media channels, which is undoubtedly a huge opportunity. First of all, I want to ask you, Nikki, why you got into the marketing industry, how you started this journey for yourself. Sure. I think getting into marketing was pretty organic for me. I was very interested in communications, but I didn't necessarily feel a strong connection to traditional media. Uh, That was really what was still around in a big way at the time that I was going into school and graduating. And that's when social media started to become a thing. And so I think my connection to technology and my attraction to where social media could go is really what pulled me into marketing. Um, And it just felt really organic. I've I've always been really good on the the tech side and um, that's basically how we ended up here. Right. So like, how did you get into the sports marketing world? Yeah. So that's a little bit different because I grew up doing, I played soccer and I was into snowboarding, but I never was like on a varsity team or we don't really have those type of levels in Canada anyways, but I was never on that, that level of play. Um, I mostly was attracted to hockey. I can't even skate backwards. I don't play hockey, but I was mostly attracted to hockey uh, just because of, I guess, our connections as Canadians. It was something that my older sister was really into. Um, a lot of my friends played. So it, again, was just kind of something that was big in, in my life. And as I was coming in the university, I realized that there might be opportunities for me to work in sports. I knew this was significantly further back. Um, And I realized that it'd be difficult to work in sports as a woman or perhaps difficult to get my foot in the door, but I wanted the challenge. Um, And so I ended up getting a part-time job with our AHL team, the American Hockey League team, which is the minor league team for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And once I was there, I got to see kind of the different departments that happen within a hockey organization. And ultimately, I didn't know that working for a team or with a league would be a place for me, but I knew that I maybe wanted to create something in the future. And that's ultimately what I ended up doing. Right. We talk about that all the time, how women feel like they don't really like necessarily belong in sports. And it's just funny to hear you kind of reiterate that too. And it's great that you broke that barrier for yourself and you're showing plenty of other young ladies and women all over the world that you can do it. And uh, that's exactly the type of people that we want to connect with. That's what we do here. So that's awesome to hear your personal journey. So what was that initial internship that you had? 
So it wasn't an internship. It was actually a part-time job. So I worked in the player or sorry, not the player, the, um, the game game production. So basically everything that happens on the ice at the game that isn't the players on the ice or, or sorry, everything that happens off the ice. Right. Um, and so all the contests, all the sponsorship activations, all those types of things. So um, it was just kind of a glimpse into the fan engagement side. Um, we worked closely with the promo team and because it was such a small front office, there was opportunities to get in on different events and things like that. So it was just a neat introduction into what a small organization or small front office looks like in, in hockey and in a massive organization, given that it's part of the Toronto Maple Leafs organization, um, which is one of the bigger sports um, organizations in the world. So it was just an interesting Thing to, to be able to see the inside interworkings of um, and ultimately make some decisions about what I would want and what I wouldn't want for myself in, in the future. And truthfully, I don't know that I necessarily felt a lot of barriers. I knew it wasn't going to be easy and I knew that there wasn't a lot of women um, in there, but I do think that there was enough that I could see myself in them in the future. Um, and I had an opportunity to go to an interview with the NHL at one point. And um, the woman interviewing me told me in the interview that it would be very difficult to work for the NHL, that they're not progressive and that you won't make a lot of money. And so at the time, that was definitely probably one of the more disheartening moments. I appreciate her for her honesty, and I think that's really necessary. Um, but that was also over 10 years ago. So I think there's been there's been a lot of progression. And, and for me, you know, I went off and ended up doing other things in the startup world, not necessarily in sports. Um, but now I've circled back to sports and I can see the massive changes that have happened even just in that time. So that's really um, refreshing. And going back to that initial job, really, it was I was in university. I wanted to work in sports. So I really just looked up what my options were for a part-time job in sports in our city. And that's one of the ones that came up. And I think because I had a knowledge of hockey and I'm a pretty outgoing person, it was just kind of a natural fit. Um, and it allowed me to meet a lot of, of, a lot, a lot of people. And so thinking about how that actually played out in my life, taking that initial position, I was there for like five years as well. It wasn't a short situation. Um, and I had the opportunity to really mingle with people that I would never get the opportunity to who now in my career um, are really playing an important role. So so it's uh, really neat how if you just hang on to the dream, it can all <laughs> it can all circle back for you at some point. That's awesome. And you talked about how you worked in game promotion. I actually did the same thing when I was in college. I worked for that part of the sports industry, that department, and that really sparked my interest. And representation is so important. And like you were saying, you know, 10 years ago when you were getting interviewed by a woman in sports, like that's awesome to hear that. And the fact that she was super yeah. upfront with you, like that's what we need. And fortunately for us, women in sports has grown tremendously and we have a lot more representation of women in the industry. So I love hearing those journeys from a couple years ago, you know, 10 years ago, where it was like, there's a few women working in the industry and now it's like, 
we've got a lot of women out here, very successful and in very successful positions. Um, and it's just amazing to see. So I love hearing that. Ever find yourself mindlessly browsing online? It's all fun and games until you see something you actually kind of want. To make sure you're not dreaming, you text your friend a link. What do you think of this jacket? You ask. By the time you hear back, you're on to other things. A product forgotten, a cart abandoned. Until now, Fivo is revolutionizing the way we shop. It's an e-commerce solution for brands to take back their consumers' engagement onto their own domain. Because you deserve that jacket. Fivo believes just as strongly in championing women in the workforce as it does revolutionizing the way we shop. That's why Fivo has partnered with the Denver Women's Sports Collective to provide resources, counsel, and strategic investment toward female professional growth. We at Fivo are proud to support the DWSC in 2021 and beyond. I noticed about you that you have so much knowledge and you have so much experience and you help players not only monetize their social media platforms and everything, but you also are training people as well. So that's something that really helps other women and other men as well, but have that representation of a strong woman in the position that they want. And they're actually like lending out a hand to help those people and you're letting them step on your shoulders and helping them find their way as well. So how did you get started in like training people as well? I think that that was more, so I have a background in affiliate marketing and influencer marketing. And when I was looking for how I could shift back into specifically hockey, that just felt like the most organic place for to get back into as far as sports goes. I approached a number of people in the industry and I asked them, where's your gap in marketing? Thinking that they were going to say like, I need an email funnel set up or I need you know, someone to organize my database, like all these different things that I thought that they were going to say. And ultimately pretty much everyone said, we have no idea how to market our players or we don't understand trying to get partnerships on for Instagram. And so that was a very huge light bulb situation for me because I know all of those things. So when I started to get into that process of working with players and trying to identify opportunities for them, kind of step zero to that is getting their profiles to a place that they are marketable. And I don't know if anyone follows hockey players on social media, but they aren't the best posters. And with the level of competition that exists in the influencer marketing space, now you have to have a profile that's marketable. You can't just be an athlete or a celebrity anymore. And I'm sure there's exceptions. So I'm not speaking completely for everyone in the league or everyone in the influencer space. But that brand alignment is very, very critical. And I I know that from working on the brand side. um, And I know that from representing talent previously and currently. And so when I was having these discussions with the players about, you know, I know you want brand deals, but you also have to do these five things in order to be even attractive to a brand. Um, And that's how that happened, because a lot of it is trying to get them to that place. And so spending the time consulting with them or um, helping them come up with captions or understanding what hashtags to use or understanding how to 
be a more active engager in order to attract more people back to their own profiles and things like that. They're very small things that they could start to implement. And I noticed that if I gave them small things, um, they would actually do them, not all at the same time, but over time, those things add up and it gets them to a place that is makes them more marketable. So me doing the trainer element, for sure, there's benefits for me because they're more marketable and that makes me more money. Um, but it also makes it a lot easier for myself and my team to have those conversations with brands. And then for the player, um, it creates a lot better brand alignment um, or alignment to be marketable. And so that's how that came about. Essentially, I realized there was like the step zero that needed to happen. A lot of times in the industry, people will tell you what not to do rather than tell you what you should be doing. And so for me, I just realized that there was a, a lot of opportunity and um, no one was really advising on that yet. So that's where I decided to step up and be the one to do that. I love how you mentioned that like hockey players specifically aren't the best at social media. What do you think sets them apart? Honestly, it is very different in hockey compared to other sports. So if you look at basketball or if you look at uh, football, the players have had an opportunity to be branded as a person from when they're young or generally the attitudes are a lot more player focused in those sports than hockey. Hockey is very team focused and very um, organization focused not so much player focus. And a lot of these players are recruited from when they're 14 and 15 and they're thrown into media training at a very young age. And that's when they're being told from that age, don't post anything, don't say anything. And so the, the PR training or the media training they get when they're very young and throughout a lot of their career is to be quiet or you know, at the risk of saying the wrong thing, it's just better to not say anything or to not post. And so that's created a lot of barriers for guys that really want to, to have that personal brand and want to have something um, to, to lean on after they are done their, their pro career. Um, but unfortunately, hockey isn't necessarily equipped for, for that. And that's really interesting for me as well, because I've started to work with um, some of the junior leagues or agents that throw that have development camps with these kids that are 14, 15, 16, 17. And I've had the opportunity to actually go and, and speak to those groups as well and, and parents and coaches and just have those conversations of like, there's ways to do this without hurting um, your personal brand and actually helping your personal brand. And those are just conversations that don't happen in hockey. And, and so that's really why there's so many barriers to these guys being willing or, or wanting to be active on social media. Right. I think what you mentioned there makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, other sports like football, basketball, they are very much so coached um, growing up. And it's interesting to hear from your perspective since you work mainly with hockey players. Um, I think with something like football too. So in hockey, we have something called the helmet effect and football has that as well. Any sport where there's a helmet it's difficult to identify players as individuals. And that's one of the barriers to them being marketable. In football, I think that players are aware of that from when they're younger and they realize if I want to stand out, I need to have a personality, whether that's on social media or not. But generally, they're developing their personalities on how they want to be known as 
as a player and as an individual. And when I look at hockey, it's more that guys are trying to figure out how can I be a teammate and how can I be a contributor to this group? So it's way less individual. So that along with the helmet effect um, creates a situation where guys just aren't able to have their personality um, as an individual out there as much. I mean, being from the Northeast, I grew up in New Jersey. So I know hockey isn't all over the United States. We grew up with that. So I knew a few people who played hockey and like what you're saying just resonates with me so much because of their demeanor about being a hockey player versus guys that I knew who were baseball players or football players or basketball players. And that just makes so much sense. So how are you trying to like bridge that gap? So I think that to that point, there's such a hierarchy in hockey as well. And and there isn't every sport, but as far as the way that the dressing room or the locker room is, there's also an element in hockey where I think younger players really care about what the older players think that you might not see as much in other sports. I know you will see it, but maybe not as much in, and not as um, widespread across the younger players. So if I were to ask a number of younger players in a different sport, um, you know, do you care what the veterans on the team think about you? They would, maybe half of them would say yes, or some of them would say, yeah, but I don't, you know, let it bother me or whatever the case is. And in hockey, I think almost everyone would care. So overall, it's such a, it's such a hierarchy and there's um, the powers that be, if we're being honest, are a lot of older men who don't really have a connection to social media or might not understand the value, not only to the individual players, but actually to the organizations. And that's been a reason why hockey, if you are evaluating it compared to other sports as a whole, it is many years behind from a social media marketing perspective, which is really unfortunate. Um, However, there are certain organizations that have noticed that and have realized that it's actually an opportunity to perhaps um, be the leaders in the space. And so for someone like me, when I'm looking to bridge the gap, um, thing number one is it's really important that I stay on top of my game and that I know what's going on in the social media marketing world, in the influencer marketing world, it's so critical that I have as much information and as much knowledge as possible. And that's on me. That's a responsibility that I have to take on to ensure that not only that I know that information, but I'm able to articulate it back and communicate it well to people that might not have a connection to it. So when I'm speaking to some of these people that are think that social media is silly or think that it can hurt the player more than it can help them. My goal is really just to help them understand that it's 2021 and this isn't going away and you're either getting on board or you're not. <laughs> and, and so, you know, obviously articulating that in a, in a nice way um, and in a way that's helpful rather than combative. Um, but I, I really think that that's it is, is the more information that people have or the more 
that you can spin it to a benefit. People love benefits, right? People love to know that it's going to help them make money, especially in the business side of sports. So it really does fall on me to be able to translate it for the people that don't see the value up front um, or really don't understand how to implement it in a way that is not going to hurt the other thing. So I think what's great is the things that I'm getting these players to incorporate, they're still in line with the general requirements of being a hockey player. So for example, posting on a game day, like I would never ask or expect a player to post on social media on a game day. That's just not something that they would typically do. Um, and that's not everybody, but that's, it's, it's more common that people wouldn't do that. So there's things like that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Or if there was something like, let's say a player was injured, um, but he was out or, you know, he's, he's injured with an upper body injury, but he's out um, on a hike with his dog, you know, I would never advise for him to post a photo like that because you're going to end up with all the people I thought he was injured. And, and the backlash of that is just not worth the post. So my responsibility as, as a consultant to these guys is also to really understand each individual organization that the ones in the Northeast that may have bigger audiences and, and some in the South that might not, but that's not exactly accurate all, all around, but essentially it's my responsibility to know who are the general managers, what are their views on social media or, or the president presidents that they work for? Um, what are their views on social media? What are their requirements in terms of posting and not posting? And how can I incorporate those things into a strategy for these players so that we're respecting their job and the fact that they're a hockey player first um, but we're also creating opportunities for them second. And that's just a really, <laughs> it's a lot of information for me to keep in, in my brain, sure. um, but I definitely have to take, take it all, take it all into consideration and, and make calls based on all those different things all of the time. So it's fun. It's a challenge. Um, but that's, that's really the way to bridge the gap is to respect where those people are coming from and meeting them where they are. I'm not here to force anyone to fall in love with social media. I'm not here to force anyone to become an influencer. I can only give as much information as I have, try and spin it to make it a win for everyone. Um, and ultimately, I, I think that it's possible. I mean, we've seen some, some really great things happen because of that. Great. So who are you directly contacted by? Are you contacted by players specifically or like their agents and they link up with you and try and work something out with marketing their socials? What does that like day-to-day -day kind of look like for you? Yeah. So the way that I typically get connected with players is through their agents. There's different ways that I could have gone about it. I personally thought that going through an agent was the safest slash smartest agents they are really protective of their players sure. and I think that's really important and it's very easy for people not in an in their agency space to contact these players directly but at the end of the day that information is going to get back to their agent in one way or another so I never wanted to be somebody that was trying to get in that way I wanted to be somebody that went to the agents and said look I know that you're not doing anything for them as far as so every agency, and this isn't to call out the industry, but every agency 
says that they do marketing, which is fine if you want to say that you do that. But now that I'm on the inside, it's very clear to me what quote unquote marketing from the agency level means, unless you are a Crosby or a McDavid or a Marner who is attached to some very expensive, very exclusive sports marketing agency, those situations exist, but they're very few and far between. For the typical player, they do rely on their agent to seek out these opportunities or to, to negotiate opportunities when they're inbound. But from the outbound perspective, it's so much work, like for an agent to sit there and call up all of these brands or seek out campaigns for their players to get involved in. It's so much work. And for the amount of money that the agent would be making back, it's not really something that they care to spend their time on. And even furthermore, they don't even know where to start kind of thing, especially with how much sports marketing has shifted due to social media in recent years. So for me, that's where my opportunity was. I was like, amazing. I know exactly how to do all those things. I can just build a whole company that does that. So I went to um, a couple- How, what made you feel like you can just like create this whole entire company, which is like so amazing. Where did, where were you at in your life where you were like, man, I can do this all on my own. Like I can- Oh, that's such a good question. Cause it does really play a role in this situation. So essentially I had started, I had left um, a, a company that I was at for four years. It was an amazing experience. And I started my, my own as marketing agents. I did all sorts of um, things in the digital space. But one of the areas that I'm really, really strong in is media buying, which is any type of online ad. So Facebook ads, Instagram ads, any type of ad. So um, in 2018, I had a client that I made a lot of money for very, very quickly. And they decided to buy my agency. So I ultimately was acquired by them and joined them as a, as a director. And so I did that from 2018. And then towards the end of 2019, I definitely started to feel as though it wasn't really a fit anymore. There was a, a lot of reasons for that. Um, one of the main ones being that they were Boston based and I was based in Toronto. And as much as it was fine to travel and fun to travel there once a quarter or whatever the case was, there's definitely some, some elements of disconnect just from how, from not being there physically when everyone else, this was pre COVID. So everyone else was in an office and things were happening um, that I just wasn't directly involved in. And I didn't love that. And then also I just really didn't love that I wasn't working for myself anymore. And um, so towards the end of, of 2019, I started to look for, for an opportunity to walk away. And because of the way that it had all worked out with, the, with me joining them um, and the level of, of money and such that was involved, getting out of that company, um, it, gave, it actually gave me like a pretty big runway to have time and space to actually just sit there and think like, well, what do I want to do? And that's how this all unfolded. So I essentially reached out to my connections in the hockey world thinking, you know, this is a great chance for me to pivot back. And that's where those conversations around what do you need help in marketing with? Um, and then that's how it all unfolded. So then obviously it's the starting of 2020. I didn't realize that 
what was going to happen would happen. Um, but for me, it actually worked out quite well, other than, you know, not being able to go to games and stuff like that, which would be super fun. Mm -hmm. um, but it was more that the players weren't playing. So they were available to have these conversations and they were available to get on board, which is very, which wouldn't normally be unique for a yeah, January. I like, yeah, I feel like that's a great time to be able to like actually build relationships with them so they can trust you, you trust them. Like, yeah. It's almost kind yeah. of like a blessing in disguise. Exactly. So it, anything just, positive that we can take from this year. You got <laughs> it, Nikki. <laughs> exactly. So to yeah, I guess going back to your question, how did I have really the opportunity to create something like that? It was really just the way that the series of events unfolded. And I did have probably the only time in my life, I don't want to say that knock on wood, but up until that point, and perhaps for a very long time moving forward, I don't know when I will have a couple months where I can just kind of think about what I want to do and how I want to do it and give myself that runway um, where I'm not worrying about, about finances too. So that was a really um, great couple months. It was interesting because I'm someone who works a lot and to kind of sit there and just be able to think was very uncomfortable, but very necessary. And ultimately it created something really awesome that I think is going to explode in the coming years. Um, and so I'm really grateful for, even with the, the pieces of it that were hard, um, and some of the things that I lost out of that situation, I definitely know that I gained way, way, way more, even just from a, a life experience perspective as well. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it, how I was able to say, I'm just going to build this thing. And, and I did so proud of myself. <laughs> that's awesome. Give yourself a pat on the back. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel the same way about this year, just really being able to take opportunities from things that seem very negative is a great way to show your perseverance, your leadership. And um, I think that really shows with what you're doing right now. Um, so that's awesome to hear that you were able to kind of turn things around for yourself, even though it was kind of like a hectic time. We all kind of didn't know what the heck was going on. The sports world was in shambles. But um, for you to be able to create this opportunity for yourself and for so many other people is just awesome to hear. Yeah, I think like going back to your question as well regarding how I connect with the the players, it that was a really great opportunity too because all of these agents were sitting there thinking like, well, if my players aren't playing, how are they getting paid? Am I getting paid? So I think it lit a fire everyone. The timing was just really great in that way overall. Um, and so, yeah, I can, I connect with the agents and then, um, eventually, or, you know, pretty quickly, depending, it depends, every agency is different in terms of, um, how they prefer that I work with their players. Um, most of them very quickly are like, you know, here's their number. You guys connect directly and we, and I'm connected to, to the guys directly and they come to me as needed and I go to them as needed. Um, but there are certain agencies that desire that I, you know, CC, the agent on everything and that we keep things in email and not text. And so that happens as well. Um, but now it's also to a point where I've been fortunate that I seem to be the only person doing this to this level. And so my name is being passed around a little bit and I'll get um, people reaching out to me, players reaching out to me or agents reaching out to me 
for the most part, if a player reaches out to me directly, I do request that we at minimum um, have the have the conversation with their agent. Like I, I would, I need their, their agent to know that this is, this is happening. I think it's the, really the best way to have positive relationships. Yeah. That's a, it's right. interesting for me on my end to start getting connected with people, having conversations with athletes, with sports professionals, they're saying my name. So I'm wondering, <laughs> since you have so many professional relationships with athletes. Do you have any stories that you were very starstruck working with any players or any experiences kind of like that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's very cool. One of the things that I actually really love is I tried to approach it from not being starstruck because obviously it'd be very easy to do that. But I think just meeting them on the, the human level, I think allows for the trust and the openness to happen a lot more quickly and I learned so many things about them. And I, I really appreciate that I'm able to know these things about them that the general public doesn't. Like, for example, I know, you know, who has investments in what types of businesses or um, I get to know who's really into reading or who has higher education. And these are little tidbits that I want them to, to be more vocal about with the general public. Um, but I appreciate that you know, I'm someone that they trust with, with that type of information. Um, but I think in terms of a specific moment or, or time where not, I don't know if it's necessarily starstruck or just a, a moment that felt really good or made me feel like I'm on the right path was, it was my birthday last month in February. Um, it was my birthday and, you know, you get all of the texts from your friends and, and everyone messaging you on social media. But at one point in the day, I looked at my messages and basically one on top of another, it was just like one player after another that had texted me to say happy birthday. And when I looked at that, I thought, you know, that is just so cool um, that I had been able to form these relationships to the extent that they're actually reaching out to me on my birthday, it's not just a, even for the ones that follow me on Instagram, it's, it wasn't just a passive comment or like on a photo or something. It was really like the, they had to go into their phone and actively, you know, type in my name and, and type happy birthday. And that just really, really did mean a lot to me. And it really affirmed that I am building these really important relationships with them outside of just the, the classic consultant client situation. Um, and yeah, I think that to me was just a, such a such a cool moment and something that I take seriously and want to build off of moving forward. Oh, that's so awesome. If I had people texting me on my birthday and I'm like, I made it, I made it, we're here. Yeah. yeah. The fun part, my husband, he works in hockey as well. He works for the Leafs and um, yeah, it's just funny. I remember like showing him like look at the list and him being like that's so weird but so cool so yeah. I know it, it, it's funny like you said like it's not necessarily like starstruck but it's just like there are these people that are put on up on this pedestal because they're athletes and they're known you know nationwide worldwide whatever it is and you're actually getting to have conversations and find out little tidbits about them like they like to read or they like to play video games or whatever yeah and it really yeah. humanizes them. And like you said, they're like texting you for your birthday. And it's just like, wow, like they're not just 
pro athletes. They don't just play hockey all day and that's it. They, they are humans just like you and I, and we're connecting with them. And that's like what kind of all of this is about for me is making connections with people that might be looked at differently, put up on this pedestal, and then you're able to have a conversation with them where it's very humbling. And this is what I got into this for. And here we are. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is that I think if anything, it was that affirmation of like, this is where you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And it's taken me a really long time to get to a point of having that truly fulfilling feeling Mm -hmm. and that simple situation was so important for just my mindset and my attitude and knowing that this is this is you know already turned into something so amazing and it's really just the beginning so that to me was what was was really awesome about that you're giving me chills right now (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way with what I'm doing right now is I talked about this on my last episode, but I, I struggle a lot with like imposter syndrome and feeling like, like I, I know I've got a lot of talent, I've got a lot of things that I want to give and, and make of myself. And a lot of the times I'll find myself in positions where I'm talking to like, Brandy Chastain or like Jen Welter. And I'm like, what is my life? I do not think that I should be here right now, but like, here I am doing it. And it's like, I need to really have more of a belief in myself because people are talking to me like, like it's nothing. Like I'm like so nervous to talk to them and they're just like, Hey, Hey Ryan, what's up? Like, what do you do? (laughs) How can I help? Who can I connect you with? And I'm just like, yeah, this is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) I think like a huge part of it, imposter syndrome. I mean, I feel that all of the time I feel all of the time, like every day I'm like, what am I doing? This is so weird. Mm -hmm. And then I just try to remind myself of why not me? Like if some, if I don't do this, somebody else is going to, at least if I'm the one doing it, I know that it's done to the level that it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And that I get those affirmations all the time because a lot of, like I said, people will reach out directly to the players and they'll get sent these like weird little PDF PowerPoint proposals from random people that really want to get into player marketing and they don't even make sense <laughs> or they just are very unrealistic or I guess I'll say out of touch with influencer marketing. So maybe they're in touch with traditional marketing or marketing that was more relevant a few years ago, but they actually don't understand anything about the actual influencer space. Whereas I know that I have that experience. I have that knowledge and that's why I'm further ahead. And then if I'm not putting myself out there, if I'm not making myself available then nobody's going to get this information. And so I put that responsibility on myself and I keep myself accountable. That way it pushes me over imposter syndrome in a little bit because it doesn't even matter whether or not I'm the best or, you know, the the person that should be doing this, but I am one of them who has more information than a lot of other people. And if I don't get that information out there, then everyone's going to stay stuck. And to me, that's way more 
critical than worrying about how I feel in a moment. So no, I'm sure. That's yeah, that's very, how I can, like push past. Yeah, I'm sure that's very validating for you, and not to like talk down about those people who are trying to kind of put themselves out there. Like they just, like you said, are kind of a little bit out of touch with um, their direct message or what they're trying to get across or what they're, what they're really, their goal is. And that might just be like lack of knowledge or lack of, you know, experience, um, which you have plenty of, and that's what's really sets you apart from, from other people like that. And you've really gone out of your way to make this whole opportunity with player partnerships and I think what's interesting about what we were just talking about too is like in terms of the other people that want to do this or people that want to do something similar, whether it's in hockey or other sports, I didn't start this from a place of, I want to work with hockey players. That wasn't my place that I started from. I started this and I have been working hard at this because I realized that there was a problem and I could solve it. And so I think if you're approaching sports marketing or working in sports from a, I just want to work in sports. I just want to be able to have players text me, which is very real and a very, you know, a situation that happens all the time. If that's how you're approaching working in in this industry or working in hockey, you're not going to get very far. You have to figure out what is the exact problem that you can solve and how can you solve it in a way that is a win for everyone? And that's kind of what I was talking about before and like getting some of these less social media inclined people on board. Um, but my goal was never, like even in working with the agents, I didn't know that they would connect me directly with players. That wasn't my goal. Mm-hmm. I think it's great that that's how it's turned out, but that was never how I, I wanted to approach this or that wasn't my plan. And I think with some of the other um, people, you know, that's their goal. They just want to be able to say, I work with X and I work with X. It, whereas for me, that wasn't the goal. That's just right. how, how it's turned out. And I think that it's great. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's interesting thinking about it that way as well, because it's so easy to want that so bad, but that's not going to be the thing that's going to, going to make or break it for you. That's just going right. to be an added benefit if you can figure out a way to to get it to work out. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've been able to, to be successful in this space so far. And maybe that's why there isn't other um, people or other companies. Right. So you mentioned it a little bit. You talked about how people who want to get into the marketing industry, how they kind of need to find their niche. Um, and I think that was really important for me because in some ways, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, I just knew I want to work in sports. I played sports my whole life. I'm not super interested in having a career anywhere else. I want to stay in sports. I'm not going to be a professional athlete because right now for women, I mean, growing up, my mindset was like, I want to be able to provide for my family, myself. Um, And that really, the opportunity wasn't there for me growing up with like being a professional softball player, you know, or stuff like (laughs) that. Um, I had to figure out, you know, I did the sideline reporting, sports reporting in school. Um, I worked for game promotions, ended up liking that so much more. And I studied broadcaster, sports broadcast journalism. So I was like, okay, I kind of got to switch gears here. If this is 
sports reporting and sideline reporting isn't necessarily where I see myself living um, within the sports industry. And then I found podcasting and was like, well, there's not really money in podcasting when you start out. So, <laughs> um, so there's been a lot of um, back end work on for me personally, trying to figure out like what my niche is and what I'm extremely passionate about. And fortunately, I came across Denver Women's Sports Collective and they have helped me out so much with really following my my biggest dreams that I've ever had is having my own podcast, which now we've got two episodes released. So um, yeah, I think it's really important to kind of take that time when you're working or trying to figure out where you want to work um, to see where you will best fit, where you can take all of your skills, your talent, and really excel. Like we said, you, you know, we had a couple months during quarantine where we could really figure out what we wanted and some people might not have that. But do you have any advice, any resources for people who are trying to make their way into their career um, in the marketing industry? Yeah, so I think that this kind of goes for anything um, in marketing and not even necessarily specific to sports marketing. Almost maybe it would cross over into other industries outside of marketing too. But when I left the corporate job that I had and started my agency, I decided that, you know, I need clients, I need money. So I'm going to be everything for everyone. And I did a really bad job at that. I really did not perform. But if you even look at job descriptions for digital marketing, it drives me bananas because the job description is like, you must do SEO. You must know how to run Google ads. You must be great at email marketing. You must be able to create organic social media content. You must manage paid media. This is what people expect from a digital marketer. And those are individual jobs. And that's so hard for somebody to perform well at all of those things. Not saying that you it's impossible, but it's very difficult. It's very time consuming. It's very stressful. And you really have to stay on top of your own training, which is very expensive and time consuming. Mm -hmm. And so I think people outside of the digital space really don't have any concept of how nuanced each of those things are. And so for me, when I had my agency and I realized like, I'm not doing very well. What is the one thing that I actually really like and I want to get really good at so that that can just be the thing? And then everything else, you know, we can offer as an upsell or figure out a consultant situation or a, a freelancer situation for them and really help them, you know, create a better marketing department. But for me personally, or for the agency that I'm running, what are, what's the thing that I want to be really good at? I just, I just thought I needed to simplify. So I guess what I'm trying to say is my advice is definitely to zoom out and simplify. Pick the thing that you like the most. It doesn't matter if you think that it's not going to make you that much money. It doesn't matter if you think that it's not that valuable because the whole point is you're going to pick that thing and you're going to get that you own for that thing. So for me, at the time I picked data because I realized that a lot of people were making online marketing decisions based on gut and based on the way that you would make them with traditional media. 
Whereas with digital marketing, we are we have access to so much data and you can make such important strategic decisions based on data. So I decided I'm going to learn this data and analytics and insight situation and we're going to get so good at it. And that's going to be the thing that that we focus on. And that's kind of how I got more into like the paid media side. So I got really good at data and then I started to specialize in paid media. And then after I got really good at that, then I started to specialize in something else. So I think like being very gentle with yourself in terms of trying to pick that one thing, it doesn't mean that you're never going to do those other things. It just means that you are allowing yourself to become the absolute expert in that thing. And then people will respect you for that and come to you for that. And I know people don't like the idea of niching down because it makes them feel like they're excluding, but you're not. The other things will still come to you. There's just the one thing that you're going to be really, really, really good at and really known for. And people are going to pay you a lot of money because of how good you are at that thing. And so when it comes to the sports marketing side, just like I said, like don't have your goal to be to work with players or just to work in sports. Like I think it's it's fine to be like, I want to be in sports, but even then, you know, there's so many ways you can work in sports or there's so, you know, you could work for minor teams, you could work for major teams, you could work for colleges. Like there's so many ways to work in sports. So I would say like, definitely have an open mind around where you're working as far as sports sports goes. And then rather than, I think a lot of people that want to look, work in sports, they go on job boards they see what jobs are available and they try to squeeze themselves into what that job is just because they want to work in sports so bad. Mm -hmm. And the reason that most people don't get that job is because you're doing it backwards. You're, you're trying to mold yourself into that job description rather than either waiting for the job that is right for you to come up. So you don't have to squeeze yourself into that job description or figuring out a way like I did to literally create a job, create a, and if it's not a business, that's fine. Creating a business is, is not easy. I'm not going to pretend like it is, right. but you'll be able to look, you'll be able to see those opportunities a lot more clearly. And at one point it'll just, it'll work out whether, and, and you won't even see it coming. <laughs> you're just going to be like, you, if you stick to the thing that you're so good at and you communicate how good you're, you are at it, and you translate it into sports. So even if that's having a podcast like this, and then, you know, in two years, th then you're the podcast girl right. in sports. Right. You know, there's there's no <clears throat> reason why that can't happen. Um, or for anyone that, you know, wants to work in front office, if someone's really good at sales and they really want to be in sales, then get really good at sales, figure out a way to connect yourself to sports in some way, and then, you know, in a year or two with, based on the relationships that you have, you're not trying to take your sales job and mold it into the marketing position that the baseball team has open. No, you're available to do sales with them and they see your value because you're so freaking good at it mm -hmm. that they'll create a job for you or you're the first person that they think of when a job opens up. So I know that's a really long-winded way of saying, <laughs> but I think if you just choose the one thing that you truly love and then you keep tabs on sports and you keep your foot and your relationships with people in sports network happening network. Yeah. um it'll it'll unfold for you it really will and I, I know even from being on clubhouse 
one of the things that I really struggle with sometimes when I hear people in the sports industry talk about is like, they always tell people like, just keep trying, you'll end up in sports, which I know is very difficult for someone who's like, I am trying, I really just want to work in sports. So from that, as in terms of like an action item, I would definitely say like get on LinkedIn and, or if you're on Clubhouse and engage with those people, like to your point when you're talking to Jen or how you and I got connected, mm-hmm. never feel, and we mentioned this earlier, like never allow yourself to feel like you don't belong somewhere or like mm-hmm. you, even you having a conversation with Jen. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we can make, especially as women, is we allow ourselves to feel like we don't deserve to be having those conversations or we're not worthy of being in that room or we're not worthy of of getting that message back. But I think if you do genuine relationship outreach on on LinkedIn, so not the the thing where everyone is like, hi, I'm really interested in working in sports. Would you be interested? Can I pick your brain? Don't do that. (laughs) But if you message somebody and you're like, hey, you know, I see what you do. I think that's really cool. I just wanted to connect. And then, you know, over time, send them a message here and there, like um, a question once a week or something like that. Or, you know, can I buy you a coffee and have a conversation? I think a lot of people get inundated with, can I pick your brain mm-hmm. type of messaging? So if you can come up with a way that's a little bit more creative, like, can I have you on my podcast? <laughs> Definitely ways of having those conversations a lot more authentically and organically, but a lot of it does have to do with your own attitude and your own, and your own belief. But I I know, I know people will always say, just keep trying. And so in terms of an action item, I would just say, get a little bit more creative with your outreach and don't be afraid to approach people that you think are out of reach for you because nobody is out of reach. Literally everyone is a, is a person. Like (laughs) we're all people at one point, everyone was at the level that you're at now. So nobody is out of touch. Nobody is out of reach and, and never let yourself believe that that's the case. I think that is an absolutely perfect way to wrap up this episode. Nikki, thank you so much for being here. I had a great time chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. I love diving in. (laughs) I know. I know. There's emotions that come out. Uh, It's very in depth and that's, that's what we're here for. Trying to help out other people who may be looking to get into the marketing industry. So it was a great conversation to have with you. Thanks so much, Nikki. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode of Combos with the Collective. Thank you for joining us for today's combo. If you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot, post it on socials, tell your friends, and catch the show notes on our website at www.denverwsc.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to catch each week's episode and follow us on all social platforms at Denver Women's Sports Collective so you don't miss a single combo. The Combo Podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by Ryan Guy. 